I, I would imagine that David would be included on anyone's Mount Rushmore of people from the Old Testament. And yet when you think about it, David experienced so many dark times in his life. His life, in, in reality, was, was one of peaks and valleys. It wasn't every day he slew Goliath. And in fact, he, he writes in, in Psalm 23, a psalm that we studied uh, several Sundays ago, uh, that he frequently walked through the deepest valleys and the darkest shadows. 2 Samuel 15 through 17 records a dark time in King David's life as his son Absalom usurps his throne. We read in that text where David and his royal court have to flee Jerusalem, the capital city. This bleak situation seems to provide the background for our psalm this morning, Psalm 63, in which the inscription says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. If we took the time this morning to go back and read 2 Samuel 15 through 17, uh, there is a text at the end of uh, chapter 15 which uh, describes uh, the second or third night or so after David and the royal court had fled Jerusalem in which they are famished. They find themselves in the wilderness. They're in need of support. They are in need of food. They are in need of water. They are in need of refreshment. And God provides David and his group with much needed provision uh, through the help of David's supporters. And so Psalm 63 is a psalm of trust that assumes recurring experiences of God's deliverance. And that is one consistent thing that you see throughout David's life. Even though it, it was a life of peaks and valleys, it was also a life of complete and dependent trust upon God. And this psalm, Psalm 63, certainly illustrates that uh, trust and faithfulness uh, for us this morning. Uh, like many of the psalms, and, and really, for that matter, any number of biblical texts, outlining this particular psalm is, is somewhat arbitrary, as, as really David kind of recapitulates or retells uh, these, these themes of, of seeking God, searching God, finding fulfillment, and then uh, the response. David breaks forth in, in worship. But I've chosen uh, to divide this psalm into three sections this morning. 
And the first section we might uh, refer to as God is my desire. Listen again to the first four verses. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. Go back to verse 1 for just a moment. The NIV reads, earnestly seek. That word is, is actually uh, from the word for daybreak. And so uh, this um, earnest uh, searching uh, suggests the energy and excitement we show when we get up early to do something. Uh, reflect on that for just a moment. Uh, those times in your life when you have big plans for the next day. Uh, the day will begin very early. Perhaps it's a trip. Uh, perhaps it's to see a loved one. Perhaps it's to spend time with, with your children. And so you go to bed the night before. And it's, it's difficult to, to sleep. There is a restlessness there. But it's a good thing. Because you are so excited about uh, what the next morning will bring. And it's, it's that kind of, of thought that is in the back of David's mind as he thinks about God. As he longs for God. As he desires God. And so the, the way David handled this search and fulfilled this desire was to take it to the sanctuary. Or it was in worship that David especially experienced God. And as Cliff pointed out, worship is a recurring theme in this uh, brief psalm. And we'll come back uh, to that idea of worship in just a moment. But in verse 3, we find one of the most uh, beautiful statements, uh, not only in the Psalms, but I would argue in all of Scripture, when David makes this profound faith claim that God's love is better than life. The love that God has shown Israel, and I believe uh, David would be reflecting upon how God has consistently been there for his people through the centuries. Uh, this love that God uh, has sustains his life even more than food and drink. And David mentions several times, uses as metaphors in this psalm just how important food and water are for our physical existence. But as he uh, searches for God and as he awakes upon this particular day, he is mindful of God's relationship with his people and individually the relationship that David personally enjoys with God. And, and David realizes that it's really through God that he finds sustenance for his life. And so we come to verse 5. 
And verses 5 through 8, again, these, these same kind of themes uh, continue to occur. But we might say that in this section, David emphasizes God as his delight. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And, and so this longing, this, this desire for God continues. And again, David kind of steps back and, and he realizes that that in God, he finds this delight. He finds this uh, fulfillment. And again, some, some beautiful word pictures that David chooses uh, to describe this relationship with God. He says in verse 5, I will be fully satisfied with the richest of foods, literally the fattest of the fat. Uh, Lori and I have a good friend, uh, a young man that has fulfilled a dream of his this week. Uh, Jordan Harris and his wife Christina, a dear young couple in Oklahoma City that uh, they, for some reason, enjoyed hanging around with us. And uh, it was always a blessing to kind of hang around them since we are a generation or two older uh, than, than they are. But, but Jared is in, or, uh, Jordan is in uh, the oil and gas industry, but he's always had this dream of owning a restaurant. In fact, once upon a time, we thought we might go in together and have a coffee and donut shop. Can you imagine that? That never came to fruition. But, but Jordan opened up a restaurant this week in uh, Oklahoma City. And he has posted on social media these beautiful pictures of the richest of foods. And I cannot wait uh, to visit Oklahoma City. And I, I have a, a standing table reserved for me uh, for the first time I, I visit to experience one of my greatest desires, wonderful food. I, I got to share with you a specialty. It is an open-faced hamburger that is smothered in gravy with french fries on top. Now, can you beat that anywhere? All right? And, and that's, that's what David says God is. As, as again, as he reflects upon God's blessing, God's provision, God's presence in his life, he, he, he realizes that, that God sustains him. And, and again, this, this metaphor of water, I really appreciate uh, the thoughts that Cliff shared with us. I mean, I, I'm sure we've all experienced, especially this time of year, uh, a deep thirst uh, this past Tuesday, I took a golf lesson from 4 to 5. And I thought I'd hydrated really well uh, before that golf lesson. And it's all I can do to get through this golf lesson. And finally, I asked my instructor, I said, is it 5 o'clock yet? And the instructor uh, looked at, at the watch and, and 
uh, said, as a matter of fact, it is five o'clock. And I said, good, because I'm done. And immediately went and got a big bottled water, turned on the radio, and they said the heat index was 108. What was I doing out there, golf lesson, with that kind of heat index? Uh, but, but again, David says, God quenches that thirst. And, and certainly the emphasis there is, is spiritually and emotionally. Remember uh, the situation that David most likely is going through at this point in his life. I mean, his son, Absalom, has already murdered a brother and he has usurped the throne. And when we get to, to the end of, of chapter 17, uh, Absalom is eventually going to be hunted down and, and killed himself. And so, so David is, is experiencing all of this. And he realizes the only solution is his trust and his faithfulness uh, in God. We come across in verse 7 a word uh, that we uh, came across uh, in Psalm 46. Uh, and David uses the same word. God is his help. And we emphasized uh, in that lesson that, that it's more than just assistance. That, that God is the only one that can do for him what he cannot do for himself. Uh, Thursday, late Thursday afternoon, Lori and I were going to run an errand. And uh, so we shut the garage door. And when the garage door settles, we heard what sounded like something falling from the inside against the door. And I'm thinking a ladder has fallen against the door. So we run our errand. We come back. I hit the button to open the garage door and it won't open. And so I go through and finally kind of figure out uh, that we have broken one of the springs. Well, we didn't break it, I guess. It just broke on itself. And so I'm, I'm trying to lift this door. And it is the, the heaviest, largest garage door we have ever owned. And I finally, I said, Lori, you're going to have to help me open this, this door. And, you know, Lori is such a bodybuilder. Uh, Anyway, but somehow we finally get this door open and set it under a ladder, and I, I needed help. And, and Lori assisted me a little bit, but I could not fix that door. And so the first thing Friday morning, I called Larry's overhead door, and he took care of it. He helped me. But he did more than just assist. He did for me what I could not do for myself, and that's God in relationship to David. And hopefully, is God's relationship uh, to us. One final very beautiful uh, word picture in this second section. Uh, the, um, the NIV reads, I cling to you. That, that is the same word that we find in Genesis 2, verse 24, where Adam uh, was told uh, to cleave his wife Eve. Uh, a husband is to cleave his, his wife. And on, on a very simple le level, it emphasizes uh, glue being, being uh, an adhesive, kind of being stuck together. 
And and so David says, I am cleaving to you. I am clinging to you. I am not going to let go. Again, a very powerful statement uh, of faith and trust. And then uh, the final section, uh, verses 9 through 11, we might say David recognizes God as his defense. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. And again, remember who that is. It's his son. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of the liars will be silent. And so we have this this third statement of God's ongoing provision and and support. And and David concludes uh, this psalm by by speaking of himself in the third person as, as the king. And again, emphasizing that through all he has experienced, he will continue to rejoice and to worship God as his sustainer, as his helper, as his creator, as the one who provides for him in every single situation. One of my favorite bands is uh, U2. Lori and I have, have had an opportunity to see them in concert three times. The last time was just two years ago at Soldier Field in Chicago. And Bono and U2 were, were touring uh, the United States. It was the 30th anniversary of, <clears throat> of probably their, their best-known album, one of the greatest albums of, of all time, in, in my opinion, The Joshua T- Tree. And the second song on uh, that album is my favorite uh, U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Everybody familiar with, with that song? There's a couple. What I got to do to rejuvenate 70s and 80s music here, Stephen? I mean, what's going on here? Uh, it's very, it's, it's a spiritual. Uh, d- d- Google that up. It's, it's, it's really interesting, the, the, the history of how this uh, song evolved for Bono and, and U2. And, and Bono told Rolling Stone magazine in an inter, uh, interview several years ago, that this particular song is more of an anthem of doubt than faith. And and so like like all great songs and and psalms and and poems, this this spiritual anthem, I think, can be interpreted on on a variety of of levels, but but its primary theme, it seems to me, is, is this intense, emergent longing for an all-encompassing love and fellowship with the divine. Some of the same language that you see here in Psalm 63, as well as other psalms that David and others wrote. But but Bono, those of you who are, are familiar with the song, after an affirmation of faith in the cross of Jesus seems to remain frustrated still. His longing unanswered. Not so with David. 
I mean, David searches, but he finds God. He has found what he's looking for. And so when you look at, at this particular psalm, and, and really when, when you reflect upon on David's life, I would suggest a threefold dynamic that David provides for all of us for life. Because let's face it, we, we, we experience peaks and valleys as well, right? Don't we? And, and some of us more than others. And, and we will all, at some point in our life, uh, walk through a very deep valley that has the darkest of shadows. How will we cope? How will we survive this experience? Well, David, I think, provides us with some help and some guidance here in Psalm 63. First of all, there is this constant pursuing. Hang with me here a second. I, I, I want to suggest that there is a difference between searching and pursuing. Searching for me suggests we're looking, but, but maybe we don't know what we're looking for. It, it's it's kind of like sometimes when we go shopping for a gift. I'm, I'm really putting myself at risk this morning because Lori is present. I think I do pretty good at buying gifts for her, but, but I have to admit, I don't always know what I'm looking for. But I'm searching, and I guess I'll know it when I see it. If that's okay. I think the last gift I, I bought for her was for Mother's Day. And she said she liked it, but I bought it at Hib, Hibbets Sports over here. <laughs> not, not quite Saks Fifth Avenue, but, but I, has it opened in Paris? I, I've missed it, you know. Um, but I think I did, I think I did pretty good. At least she has worn the outfit, and she has received compliments on it. David, he knows what he's looking for, and he's pursuing it. It's, it's somewhat like when, you know, you deer hunters, or you hog hunters, or you quail hunters, or you, you know what you're looking for. And, and so you're pursuing it. And, and I think there's, there's a difference there. D David knew what he was looking for. It was God, and he was pursuing God. G God was the goal. God was the target. And, and so he, he knew what it was. Which then leads us to the second dynamic, again, that we see uh, over and over in this particular psalm. There is a continuous perceiving as well. Because he knew God and because he knew who he was pursuing when he would see God through worship in the sanctuary or in, in this case, in the wilderness. He could recognize God. He understood God. And that because of the perception, he could then acknowledge God and confess 
God. And, and I, I think, you know, I think there's, there's kind of a knack to this. I mean, I think it's, it's something that we teach ourselves and we train ourselves to see. To, 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 be, to be out and to, and to be aware as we are thinking about God and as we are pursuing God to recognize God and know it. You know, it's whether it's through creation or through his people or, or through some experience and, and, and being ready to acknowledge God's presence. We, we, tend, we tend to separate and compartmentalize so many different aspects of our lives. You know, there's, there's our spiritual life, there's our work life, there's our family life, there's our recreational life. I don't think David did that. I, I mean, I think it was all kind of spiritual. And that's, that's why God, God could be seen in whatever he experienced. And it was because he pursued him. And so then the third dynamic is this ceaseless praise. Ceaseless praise. Lori has taught me something. She, she has taught me to better recognize God in his creation. If, if you follow her on social media, practically every evening she has posted a picture of, of a sunset. She loves sunsets. I never paid much attention to sunsets. I, I really like the clouds, you know, the cloud formations. I don't take pictures of them, but I, I admire it. And, and, I, and I, I appreciate and love the way she, she always praises God for that, for that beautiful portrait he just painted in a, in a sunset. And, and so again, m- moving, moving beyond worship to just being something we do uh, between uh, 10 and 11.15... And or beginning September 8th between 9 and 10.15, being willing to to just this this ceaseless amount of praise as as we pursue God, as we perceive God, as we just then burst out in praise. I believe David did that. I mean, I I believe he couldn't help it. Even, Even when life looked so bleak as it did in this occurrence, And on this occasion, as his son has usurped his throne and is pursuing him. So what is, is, again, the basis of of David's trust in in this confession that, that his love is better than life? Well, it's because of of who God is. And, and so we go back to verse 3, and, and again, th- this verse would look good on a coffee mug, right? I, I mean, it is such a powerful message. And, and once again, we in, encounter my favorite Hebrew word, hesed, which the NIV chooses to um, translate as love. It's a difficult word, again, to really put into English, especially when it's in reference to God's hesed for his people and for us. And and you see this in the variety of translations. King James, New King James, American Standard, New American Standard, 
all translate with the word loving kindness. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of uh, the Hebrew Old Testament, chooses the word mercy. Uh, the NIV, as I have read this morning in the New Century Version, simply choose the word love. But then there is a long list of translations. Love isn't uh, adequate enough, and so they attach some uh, adjective to it. The uh, English Standard, Revised Standard, New, New Revised Standard, steadfast love. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase the message, generous love. The Good News Testament, constant love. The Lexham English Bible, loyal love. The New Living Translation, unfailing love. And finally, the Common English Bible, faithful love. I mean, those are all pretty good, right? I, I mean, don't we want to serve a God like that? And David realized it. But one of the newer translations of the Old Testament uh, came out last fall by uh, Old Testament uh, scholar John Golden Gay. He chooses the word commitment. And so his translation reads, because your commitment is better than life. And in his commentary on this particular psalm, he says this about Hesed. Commitment implies pledging oneself to someone when one has no prior obligation to do so or, or keeping such a pledge of commitment, no matter what happens, as when the other person does not keep the pledge and thus forfeits any right to search commitment. That's God. We, we, have, no, we have no right, we have no business being in a relationship with him. But because of our faith in Jesus, we, we, have, we have this relationship. And, and, and even though we don't always keep the pledge, God remains committed to us. And that was encouraging to David. And, and, and that's why there is this, this threefold dynamic in his life in which he is pursuing God because he understands God's commitment. He can be committed to God as well. And so, and I worked very hard on this last sentence here. Our comeback to God's commitment is to be committed. And, and, and so the, the Hebrew word for that is a hasiad, one who is committed. And, and so when we think about God's commitment or whatever, whatever word or term, phrase you want to use, unfailing love, loyal love, loving kindness, steadfast love, our response to that, our comeback to that is to be committed to God as well. And maybe, maybe the, the, the best, at least this is my favorite verse that emphasizes this in the New Testament is found in Revelation 13. In, in Revelation 13 in verse 10, li li listen to what John says. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. 
This message was real for the first century readers. Their life was beginning to be put at the stake if they confessed Jesus as their Lord. I mean, it was a, a dark, difficult time, just like David experienced in 2 Samuel 15 through 17. But the verse ends this way. John says, so, I added the so. So, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. The message of Revelation is God is committed to his people. And, And the message of this verse is when we are being tempted to just let go and leave... When, when we are faced with, with such difficult circumstances in life that we don't see God or we don't feel God or we don't think He is with us any longer, we hang on. There is a perseverance that persists with us. There, there is a, a constant commitment. And there is a faithfulness there. Because of who our God is. And the reality is, we we are trusting in something this morning. We we are committed to something. And and it's either ourselves or uh, what we have. We're trusting in something to survive. And, and we, may, we may, as we experience life, there may be doubts. I'm, I'm not saying that David never doubted. I'm, I mean, you read his life, you'll, you'll see those times. But he constantly, he constantly pursued God because he knew God would uh, sustain him. And, and, and so what are you trusting in this morning? Is it, is it self? Is it job? Is it material thing? I, Or is it God? And is it his son, our savior? You know, have you confessed his name? Have you been baptized into his name? Are you part of of God's family? Who are you trusting in this morning? We're going to stand. Stephen's going to lead us in one more song. As you think about, reflect upon your life, if we can encourage you this morning in any way, whether it's through prayer or whatever, please come forward while we stand and sing.